Welcome back to Cargumentative, a Times Live podcast in which we talk about all things cars and motoring. I'm your presenter, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times and Times Live. And this week, I'm joined by Dennis Dropper, but also two guests, Ruben van Niekerk from The Leisure Wheels and Stuart Grant from uh, The Float Chamber. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for having us. I knew you'd all chime in at once, so um, you know <laughs> that's just the way it goes on these on these um, virtual studios. I know Ruben's taking it one step further; he's actually uh, recording from his car, so so that's the first for the show. Um, we're kicking things off with some news, and uh, Dennis, what's been happening in in your corner of the world? The big news in the motoring world this week is the fact that Formula One finally gets underway this weekend. So it will be the first part of an Austrian uh, double header. They'll do two weekends in a row there. And uh, even though they're, they're starting the season, it, it's certainly going to be a, a, a televised spectacle because there's no spectators around because COVID-19 is still with us and social distancing uh, rules still apply. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to see after such a long break uh, where everyone stands in the pecking order, Ferrari versus Mercedes versus Red Bull. Yeah, I'm actually quite looking forward to it. Um, I started to get back into Formula One over the last two years, uh, probably because of that Netflix show, um, that Drive to Survive, kind of rekindle a little bit of interest. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm a big Haas F1 fan and Alpha Tori, so you know, I always like the underdogs um, and teams who do usually come last or, you know, towards the back of the grid. Um, so, yeah, going to be interesting to see how that works, um, especially with the double headers. I mean, are they going to have two races on one day or is it like a race on a Saturday, race on a Sunday? The double header is, uh, is that they're going to have two weekends in a row with races. So they'll still have the, uh, just one race for Sunday, but the very next weekend they'll have another race in Austria. And the same will happen then uh, when they go to the UK later on. Okay. All right. Well, something yeah. to look forward to. At least we've got some entertainment uh, for the next two weekends. Yeah. Just on that note, I just wanted to point out that for the first time, South African Formula One fans can actually live stream this online. Previously, the only way you could do so, legally at least, was to have a, a DSTV subscription. But now you can uh, live stream races for 86 Rand a month or $4.99 a month. And that gets you... Uh, that gets you the radio transmissions as well. Every practice session, uh, it lets you choose whose cockpit view you're watching. So it's quite a good service. I've signed up for it myself, so I'm going to test drive it for the first time this weekend. Well, that's very cool. And, I mean, it's about time they, they actually did that because um, I know that uh, you've had that, that functionality with the World Endurance Championship in the past uh, with Lamar and Silverstone. Um, GP has also had it for, for, for quite a few years. So it's, uh, it's good to see Formula One uh, finally, you know, getting themselves together there on uh, the streaming front. Uh, Ruben, what's been happening on your side? Yeah, like, I agree with you guys. I think the streaming thing is great because I've missed out on Formula One because we, we don't have the DSTV for a while now and I've been following the MotoGP online and it works great. So I'm, I'm actually glad to hear that you say that, Dennis. But uh, yeah, something interesting that I saw today is that the, the Geneva Motor Show has also now been cancelled and I think 
it might be the final um, nail in the coffin for the whole uh, traditional motor show scene, you know, and, and the whole way things are done, you know, we're having launches by Zoom and that, so I don't know if we'll ever see something like a, like a motor show again. I don't know yeah. what you guys think. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, and I think uh, anybody who's been following the motor industry over the last couple of years have seen that, you know, motor shows aren't uh, such a big deal anymore. Um, a lot of manufacturers will choose not to go to shows that they used to attend. Um, you yeah. know, it's expensive. Uh, you've got to pay a lot of money uh, to have stands. And I, I just don't think the returns are there anymore. And, you know, yeah. with the internet and social media and virtual reality and VR glasses and all this kind of fancy stuff, you know, do you really need uh, to, to, to cash out um, these big checks uh, for for stand space? It just seems uh, yeah. unnecessary. So, yeah. There had been uh, – spectator attendance in motor shows had been in decline over the last few years in any case. And I think with this whole lockdown, that's just uh, brought to light just how much you can do online and that's – you know, maybe the whole going and looking at cars and the whole tire kicking thing isn't that important. As and as you mentioned, it's it's quite expensive, Thomas. Mm, it is, yeah. Ruben, is there anything yes, else? Uh, uh, yeah, and then um, I think yeah, we're talking classic cars today, and I think it's interesting that Jaguar announced last week that uh, you can now buy the the engine block for your um, E-Type, brand new from Jaguar Classic. Um, it's, it's not a cheap part. I think it's about 320,000 Rand. And then if you um, got the documentation that you own a vehicle, you can get the same engine number stamped into it with the asterisk, of course. But it is great to see that big companies like this um, are putting in so much R&D and, and marketing money into um, parts for, for these old cars. Uh, you know, And it's, it's lucky to see if you got an E-Type, you can get a brand new block straight from the guys who made it originally. Yeah, that's 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 super cool, and it's it's nice to see Jag doing that. Um, you know, Mercedes does it, um, so does BMW, and uh, of course Porsche. I think um, yeah. they've 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 really been pioneers um, on the classic car fronts uh, in terms of making new parts and supplying parts. And I think manufacturers are understanding that. You know, there's a whole there's a whole uh, subculture of people out there who enjoy classics who still use them frequently. Some people even have them as dailies, you know, because they just prefer that kind of car. Um, and it's excellent to see uh, manufacturers making stuff, um, using modern technology to keep these older cars going. Moving on to Stu. You've been quiet in your corner. Well, I've got uh, a bit of a combo of the, the car show or the Geneva sort of thing and uh, the classic world. There was a guy, Mark Woolley. I don't know if Dennis will probably remember Mark. He's a South African. He's overseas, he does a lot of events and hill climbs and organizing stuff for Jody Schechter and blah, blah, blah. But he's just launched a, a classic motoring expo, X being E hyphen XPO. And it's a virtual uh, classic car show overseas uh, where they'll have trade exhibitors even. You know, the, the classic car industry is quite huge. And uh, they will have virtual stands, so you'll walk around the thing come across a supplier you like, you can live talk to a salesman as if you were standing at the little three by three stand in Nazareth or something like that. So so even the, the classic guys are mixing it up with uh, some modern tech and, and trying to keep the car shows going in a, in a similar but different way. And obviously, hopefully uh, to 
generate some income that they've all lost. Yeah, Stu, yeah. I certainly remember Mark Woolley. It sounds like an exciting venture. Do you, uh, is it free to, to enter? Um, as far as I understand, it's free for spectators and then exhibit would, uh, would pay. Um, yeah, you can find it. It's, it's Classic Motoring Expo. Um, and his, his business that brings it to you is Speed, Ste- uh, Speed Stream Group. So I'm not sure of any more details other than that. But, yeah, it's free for the, the Joe public to virtually walk around. Very cool. Well, that's, that's definitely something to have a look at. And um, I think finally, just to wrap up news, Dennis, um, tell us about the, the Corolla GR uh, that's, that's going to take on the Golf GTI. Is this a, a rumor? Is, is it happening? <laughs> the, these are rumors, uh, but they have been intensifying. So, and, and when we asked Toyota about it, they just said no comment. So that generally means kind of watch the space that it's probably coming. So, so as you might recall, there was a Toyota Yaris GR launched recently, which is a three-cylinder, 1.6 turbo engine with 200 kilowatts, which is quite an impressive output for such a small engine. And uh, word on the street is that that engine might find its way into a Corolla. And as, uh, let's say, small car uh, enthusiasts might recall, Toyota used to be in this game with cars like the uh, the RSI. So uh, it would be nice to see Toyota Corolla back in the space. It definitely would. And uh, I know Ruben's a big Golf GTI fan. Uh, Ruben, what do you think about a a Corolla GR. No, it's, uh, I mean, it sounds like a good idea. We'll have to wait and see how well they execute it because, you know, like there's been a lot of guys going for that Golf GTI um, crown, you know, like recently we saw Hyundai with the I30N and it's kind of fallen short with what it actually delivers in the real world. And, you know, so, yeah, the Golf, in my mind, still remains king and the, the, the others still need some, still have some catching up to do, I believe. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Volkswagen really does the GTI well, uh, you know, and uh, they they pretty much are the kings of of the hot hatch. They've been doing it the longest. So, yeah, good luck to Toyota. Um, I'd still like to see one as a bit of a Toyota fanboy. Um, So, yeah, hopefully that comes out uh, sooner rather than later. Guys, that's it for news. Uh, We've got to wrap it up. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the show shortly. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. Uh, we're talking to Ruben Van Niekerk and Stuart Grant about uh, classic cars because, let's face it, you know, uh, in 2020, as much as new technology is kind of cool sometimes, it's it's still nice to have something old and analog and, you know, just old school to drive. Stu and Ruben, we had a, a pretty good outrun um, on the weekend and um, got a chance to meet up with some like-minded classic car enthusiasts and we took off on a a nice little route where did we actually go because that was like new territory for me i know that we left joburg and and ended up in pretoria but um 
what route did we actually take? Okay, yeah, so um, uh, the Pretoria guys met up um, sort of in near the school case, people will know, and then we, we hooked it on the R21 and we met uh, the Jobo crew who came past the airport um, near Serengeti, um, headed uh, towards Bavsfontein and out the back of uh, Pretoria. Um, then we headed um, to, you know, um, into Pretoria, past the Kitty Hawk airstrip and um, into the east of Pretoria and then onto the N4 and into, into town and um, ended up at the Lollipop Roadhouse, which is, I believe, one of the oldest roadhouses in South Africa. It started in 1937 and it's been at the, the same spot. So it's quite a historical motoring spot in Pretoria, given that it's been there that long. And it's like anybody who's ever spent any time in Pretoria will know about the Lollipop Roadhouse. So, yeah, and it's a nice open-air venue. You've still got good food, good roadhouse food, and perfect for social distancing because nobody has to be on top of each other. It's good space to spread out and... And have a to the fat about the classic cars. Exactly, and there were some fine classic cars there. I mean, there was a mini, there was a mini there. I think that revved up to nine thousand RPM and had all, all kinds of trick parts in it. Whose car was that, Stu? I mean, are you allowed to say, or, or you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, that was a, another Stuart, Stuart Gregg, who who uh, works from home. He builds minis. That's what he does as a as a job. I think he used to have a proper job, but the the hobby of building minis got. Uh, large enough that he can sustain himself. So that was actually his race car that is road legal, but he, he needed to stretch its legs. I think the last time it was out was for the a race in PE, which was the mini 60th, I presume. I think that was probably last year already. Yeah, so that it was, was the last time it was out. So give it a, a, a good run. Um, that's got a cross-flow head on it, so you would have noticed a big bump in the, in the front of the bonnet. Um, and... So the, the carbs are situated front, two big Weebers instead of a normal little SU that would have been at the back on an original Mini. And uh, it sounded like a supercharger. I don't know if it came past you at all. I thought it was a superbike or something. Uh, and it sounds like a supercharger wine, but it's actually a straight-cut gearbox. So anyone who knows race Minis back in the day will, will recognize that sound. And it was pretty awesome. I mean, it was, it was uh, probably the quickest of the cars there, even though we – we don't really like to do any uh, illegal stuff and speeding and that and just play it safe, but we can still be quick to the speed limit. That's always the fun part with the older, older cars is just get to the speed limit as fast as possible. That's the winner. Exactly. I mean, I saw that thing. Um, there were some super bikes that came by um, and they were kind of taking it, well, reasonably slow. And then the mini was like, right, he's going to have a, a bit of a go here changed down a gear or two and it just i mean that thing was impressively fast and i think the guys on those bikes were actually a little bit surprised you know it's a, a little bit of a sleeper you're not expecting that kind of performance from that kind of car and now i mean at the other end of the scale we picked up i don't know if you noticed just as we came uh, around the sort of kitty hawk side and the small holdings out i think it's east of pretoria there um we picked up a series one land rover which i don't know if that can do uh do the speed limit but just sort of shows the variety that's out there from uh, i think what did we have a few 911s hot minis a couple of mazdas uh ruben in his vw and then uh, a series one landy you know so it's different strokes you know it was a great diverse field of cars and uh ruben i'm gonna move on to you i mean you've you've got this really cool um volkswagen variant um and it's just got one of the most beautiful patinas I've ever seen in like an older car, you know, it's got a couple of 
mix and dense and you know it certainly shows marks of a, a life well lived um, which I think you'll never be able to recreate um, tell us a little bit about this car um, yeah so it's the, the car that I own is a 1969 VW Squareback they this this model of car came in three variants like a fastback coupe style and a sedan which is called a notchback and then the station wagon that I've got um, I own the car for 10 years now and I bought it from an old lady by knocking on the doorbell about you know, 10 years ago and it was she had it since new. She said she used it for her kids and it was their car. But it, it never did like big mileage. It was running around, around Pretoria, the car never had left Pretoria. But you know, like you said, it needed some work and over the time that I've done some work on it, um, put on some wheels, I've recently done some work on the interior and and rebuilt the motor so it's like you know everything mechanically the car is now 100 percent and inside it's it's cool so like i like i like what it looks like now and it's it's original paint but it's only in a really original once and yeah like you say the patina is, is something that i like and as long as the car is mechanically sound you know it it, it, it bears the scars of a life where i live like you said and i enjoy it like that because it, it's a good conversation piece you know wherever you stop people want to chat about the car it's 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 not a trailer queen at all. It's a car that I want to use and and yeah and do these kind of trips on it. And if I want to throw my dogs in the back, I don't have to feel bad. I do that and I enjoy it. So yeah, it's a, it's a like a like a toy and a car that I really enjoy driving. It's a fantastic car. And um, what is it like to work on? I mean, because you you kind of do most of the mechanical stuff yourself, right? Yeah, so that's part of the allure for me is like, you know, we spend our lives behind computers and I can go to the garage and think on stuff. And, you know, like during lockdown, we, we re-upholstered the car ourselves. So like just like, you know, learning stuff like that. And yeah, the car's not bad to work on. A lot of the stuff is the same as a Beetle. Um, so the parts, you know, like engine parts and that kind of stuff is available because they shared with a Beetle. But yeah, um, stuff the stuff is getting hard to find. Parts are getting hard to find, but luckily, as, as the stuff gets harder to find, you know, the internet has become more uh, helpful in that regard. I mean, before you would go scratching around a swap meet now, you just hit it in Google and you can find the parts wherever and import it here in, in fairly quick time nowadays with the good shipping and that. So, you know, that's, I think, what's made the classic car ownership more um, accessible to more people, is that the car, the parts is, the, you know, globally the stuff is available and it's it's just a click of your credit card away and sometimes it hurts a credit card more than others, but it is possible to keep these cars going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd say, you know, in 2020, there's never been a better time to be a, a classic car owner because uh, as you as you pointed out, I mean, there, 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 there are all sorts of uh, part suppliers all over the world. Um, you know, and whether you enter old air-cooled VWs or Porsches or Mercs or whatever your poison may be, uh, there's a supplier out there who's got stuff or is even in some cases uh, remanufacturing things, um, yeah. which is which is really cool. Um, Stu, do you want to chip something in? I heard you. I heard you firing up those vocal cords. Or I have French cars, so yeah. Um, I was riding passenger. In a, in a <laughs> Japanese car, there's yeah. French cars. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a similar sort of thing. Everything is available. But I did I did decide to uh, strip it. it. It was a nice sort of patina look as well. And for some reason, I I thought I'd tidy up one thing and then it snowballed. So my Renault is on axle stands waiting, uh, waiting for that credit card to click a bit more. And... Uh, yeah, but for now, I'm just riding with guys we know. 
And uh, I went in and made the MX-5, so that's pretty modern by our classic standards. Uh, Ruben and I, we, we generally like one rule on our runs, and that is that it's uh, no factory cup holders uh, can be <laughs> fitted to the car. So I think I think that sort of brings the age. I think it's probably about 1989 is when the sort of factory cup holders took off. But, uh, yeah, that – but anything goes, you know, 25 years or older – is is our sort of favorite genre but we're not fussy because it's it's half of the time it's the guys rather than the cars the guys and girls rather than yeah. the cars you know and that's it yeah. i mean uh, i think i think a big part of of the classic car scene is is meeting the people and listening to the stories um you know and it's 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 fun to hang out with some like-minded people and chat to people who own cars similar to yours you know and you can compare notes and uh swap war stories um dennis i'm going to bring you in here because i know you've got a couple of questions for the guys so uh, i'm going to stop talking for a bit thanks thomas i just want to ask uh, are you guys aware whether piston ring uh, meetings are starting up again um I'm, I'm not sure on piston ring i was on the the pomc website yesterday um that's the pretoria old motor club who do a lot of the runs um they, they still have their monthly stuff listed from, I think they start again in September. They, they've got them, but it's not uh, concrete. And their cars in the park, which is traditionally, when's it, Ruben? August, first, first week, week of August, August I think. Yeah, yeah that, that's been moved out. They've said September, but haven't given a date yet. So everything is kind of on hold with all of that sort of stuff. I presume um, yeah, Piston Ring is the same, VVC and... All those sort of monthly club meetings at the moment are all still listed, but none of them are going ahead. So, uh, Joe yeah. Public, I, yeah, I wouldn't know how they get to know. It seems to be a bit of the insider. The guys know when it's going to start, but yeah. Well, it's good to hear that with so many events being cancelled, including Concourse SA, that uh, cars in the park looks like it might still go ahead just uh, just at a later date. Uh, and then w- one question, just just out of the blue here. I, I occasionally, for my sins, just go on to AutoTrade or something like that and look at uh, some of the interesting classic cars that are on sale. And I see that at Executive Cars in Randburg, there's a Maserati by Turbo 2.5, 1984 model, on sale for 165,000 Rand. Now, I want to ask you each in turn, uh, um, old Italian muscle, yes or no? Stuart? I'm a fan of them. Is that a goldy, goldy bronze-colored car? Correct. Yeah, I've actually taken it for a test because I'm a bit of a, a fan, but I, I do like um, I do like to make my life difficult. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so it's a, so it's a yes from you, Stuart. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for me, so half the allure of the classic car initiative is that I can work on the cars myself, and I I'm a bit worried that something like that is a bit advanced to me, and I won't be able to keep the smoke within the electrical wires of that car in my garage and you know i don't i don't i, I don't want to have to rely on somebody else to keep the cars um you know maintained for me you know, like on my cars my, myself and my dad can do most of the things so you know then as soon as you have to start finding someone who can work on a maserati then it just becomes a headache i think yeah, yeah. Because, uh, thomas and i spoke about uh whether we would buy a french car an italian car a couple of cogumentatives ago so i was wondering what thomas would think about buying a 1984 maserati Jeez, i think it sounds like a, a world of pain a, sen- a long sentence <laughs> of expensive bills and frustration and like endless troubleshooting 
hours. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's on 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 paper, it's quite a cool car, um, and I I can appreciate them. Um, I'd like to drive one. Would I like to own one? Uh, don't think so. No. So from from my side, Dennis, I'm unfortunately giving it a thumbs down. If I could just actually add, I think like there's a bit of a cutoff. Like like my car is like late 60s, early 70s, and they were still very mechanical. And then like people started like getting fancy, like yeah, by the 90s. And then it's like even with motorbikes, I know uh, Rechatz is busy restoring a Yamaha RD350, and that's like one of the first bikes that had a CDI, and, and that thing's giving him serious headaches now because. It was like at the beginning of you know vehicle electronics, and that stuff is still very you know, rudimentary, and that's where, where the trouble comes. So I think there's like one is either go for something older that's fully mechanical, or something that's a bit newer when the electronics was a bit more stable and and, and better developed. I think. No, when, when Thomas said that this Maserati might be a world of pain, I mean I've come across that sentiment a couple of times of a couple of cars that I looked at when I started my classic car journey. My first port of call was a Porsche 928. And uh, I went and test drove one and fell in love with it until a Porsche mechanic told me, stay away, don't do it. So unfortunately, yeah. that'll, have to be a, that'll have to remain a distant love affair. Yeah, yeah that's a sad thing. Um, I mean, I, I personally think the, the 928 is a great car, and I think it's aged very well. There was actually one at, uh, at the, the car meet um, on Sunday, and... Um, it's very cool. It still looks spacey. It still looks, you know, exciting. Uh, but from an ownership point of view, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's unfortunately just very complicated for for what it is. I think that's about it, guys. That's about all time we have for uh, for chatting about classics. But uh, some interesting things raised there, and it's uh, it's good to see them still on the roads and still being enjoyed. And uh, yeah. Stu and Ruben, thanks for organizing that uh, that outright. It was it was a jaw. Um, we're gonna have a quick break, and we'll be back with the show again shortly. Or just who's dripping with sauce. And who's adding the spice. Because if it's hot, then it's definitely in the cheese pod. Welcome back to Cargumentative. Uh, it's that time of the show where we all discuss um, the cars we've been driving. And uh, to kick it off, let's let's move on to Dennis. Dennis, what's been in your in your garage over, over the last couple of days? I'm happy to say that I got a chance to drive the Porsche 718 Cayman GT4, and I can unreservedly say that this is the best car I've driven this year so far, and possibly will remain so for the remainder of the year. This is uh, as purest as you can get in the 718 Cayman range. It's a mid-engine sports car at uh, rear-wheel drive, normally aspirated, 4-litre, six-cylinder engine, and manual gearbox. So, I mean, what, what could possibly go wrong with that, and who could possibly be against such a package? And, I mean, every, everything that I've just rattled off spec-wise comes together as such a 
sweet driving car. I mean, it, it revs to 8,000 RPM, and it sounds amazing when you do that. So even though it's got a lot of torque across the rev range, you find yourself revving at over 7,000 RPM quite often just to hear that sweet engine note, that flat six. And um, compared to regular Caymans, it's also got a, a chassis that's lowered by 30 mils. Uh, so it's got better handling. It's got Porsche torque vectoring. Um, so so it's, it's a proper little uh, light sports car. And when I say light, I don't want anyone to think that this is under-endowed in any way, because even though it doesn't have a gazillion kilowatts like in the Ferraris and Bugattis of the world, it's just a, such a sweet thing to drive. And if any of you guys have uh, driven Caymans before, maybe you can back me up on this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I was a massive fan of the previous generation uh, GT4. Um, I got to drive it at Le Mans, which was, which was quite an experience. Um, alongside a GT3 RS, and um, at the end of the session, I was I was more impressed with the GT4 actually. And uh, if somebody had said you can take one home on your flight tonight, um, I probably would have gone for for the Cayman. Um, it's just you know it it, it may not have uh, the raw horsepower, but in terms of uh, you know how it feels and uh, how engaging it is, um, sure, it's it's definitely up there. Uh, with the best of them. Um, yeah. Ruben, I don't know if you drive it. Um, no, I mean, I've driven the previous one, but mm. yeah, so recent, I just, I've probably driven something that's completely on the other end of the spectrum. We recently drove the, the new 2020 Nissan Patrol. So that, that's a big um, SUV that drivers like the Toyota Land Cruiser 200. It's got a normally aspirated petrol v, VK56 V8. So now that's just a, like one of the old school, you know, old school V8s in there and you know, 17 inch wheels, so it's really a proper, prop, with a proper, you know, sidewall, really a proper off-roader with proper old school power. And I can see why, why the guys in Dubai love them so much for playing around in the sand dunes. So that, yeah, that's something that I've been driving recently. But then I, I also want to make a U-turn on our previous statements about the French cars. It was on Sunday afternoon. I got got a flip in a um, French Alouette helicopter from 1959. And this is, you know, a turbine helicopter that set the world altitude record in in early 60s. And, you know, you service it with a grease gun, basically. So, I mean, yeah, French cars might not be the most reliable, but they, you know, maybe in aviation, they, they did some great things. And that was really, I mean, that's a classic helicopter and something that's also very appealing to somebody who likes things more mechanical. That's the, so, I mean, that must have been what, a, a, a Alouette 2? Yeah, so LOA-2 is an ex-French um, army helicopter that uh, was stored after they used it in a, in a mountain um, cave for a while until it was imported to South Africa about 10 years ago and then recommissioned and, and is living a pampered life now in South Africa. That's very cool. I mean, I remember, I think that the South African Air Force used to have those and then obviously they got the LOA-3 as well later on. Um, but geez, that's a, that's a proper experience not something you get to to do every day no so yeah i mean like that thing it's, i've flown in a couple of new, new helicopters and you know that's a 61 year old helicopter that feels as stable as anything new and as safe as anything else that i've been in so it's really testament to the engineering of back then of developing this very basic in terms of mechanicals um, machine and it's still still doing a great job today hmm. well i won't ask the price on the alouette but uh just They're not to too expensive, to, eh, Tom? You can, yeah. 
you can get one for less than uh, the Range Rover that I'm that I'm driving at the moment, so it's not too bad. Are you serious? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing the Cayman would be more than that, Dennis. Um, how much does that Cayman go for? It's about 1.5 million, Thomas, which in in terms of sports cars is is a bit of a steal. It is actually. I mean, when you when you dissect the market and work out um, what you'd have to pay to get something that 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 offers such a, a purest driving experience, uh, 1.5 bar is not is not all that shabby for that car. Uh, considering yeah, that the <laughs> that the previous GT4, I think when that came out uh, back in 20, 2014, I think it was, uh, that was about 1.3. 1.2 million rand, so it hasn't yeah. increased that much. But I, I mean, I'm just glad to see Porsche going back to six-cylinder engines in the in the Cayman. I think uh, going to the four-cylinder was a mistake, and I think they've realised that. Um, you know, hence why we've got a, a six-cylinder GT4 again, and hopefully going yeah. forward, we'll see a return to the six-cylinder even on lesser models. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind the performance of the four-cylinder turbos. They they certainly uh, kicked out good power. But in mm. terms of charisma, n- nothing beats revving a normally aspirated six-cylinder to eight thousand RPM. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, that four-cylinder sounded awful, um, and also it was promising fuel economy figures that you would never get. And uh, previous owners who had the six-cylinder, who'd um, upgraded to the four-cylinder, said that. The older cars were actually better to run um, from a, you know, a mileage point of view. So I think, uh, yeah, Porsche made a bit of a, a faux pas there. Uh, Stu, I'm going to move on to you because you often, yeah. um, you know, all, all sorts of cars come in and out of your garage. Um, you know, so what have you been piloting? What have I driven? Uh, it's been a bit quiet. You know, the guys were with lockdown. Guys weren't. Uh weren't using the classics or we weren't uh, going on shoots or anything like that. Um, I delivered, I sold my, my uh, 1984 uh, uh, 205 GTI. I sold it and the guy only took delivery of it just after we went to stage three. So that was the last real classic I drove. I, I drove it to his house to hand over the keys. Uh, other than that, I've been driving my, um, 2012 Fiat 1.2 X Avis rental car. Nice. Um, it's pretty gutless, but uh, I settled uh, the finance last month, so it's now the best car I've ever owned, and uh, <laughs> we'll just keep belting it until it falls apart. Exactly. The best pretty, car is a paid-off yeah. car. It's the first time I've ever got that far. I've never kept a car so long. Um so, yeah, I've amazed myself. I'm actually quite surprised. To, uh, yeah. to replace it with, but uh, maybe I've grown up because I'm deciding to to just live with a paid-off car for a while. Yeah, it's better. It's got air conditioning and, you know, uh, what more do you want? Bluetooth. Yeah. And Bluetooth. Has it got Bluetooth? Is... Yeah. What of. year is that, Fiat? 12. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice one. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, from my side, what have I been driving? I mean, I haven't had a test car this week, so I've just been driving my my Classic, which has been quite fun. Uh, it's been behaving itself for a change, which is nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I've got some – I've got a Citroen Aircross lined up and uh, a new Corolla lined up. So, yeah, 
something to look forward to. Um, guys, I think that's it. We've run out of time. Producer Paige is whirling her hands on uh, the virtual world of Skype and telling me to wrap. So, uh, yeah, I'd just like to thank you, Stu and Ruben, uh, for joining us. And uh, Dennis, again, thanks for, for being my co-host in the uh, the cargumentative potsies. Thank you. And it was uh, it was good to have our guests with us this week. Thanks for coming in, guys, virtually. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank thanks you. for that having us. Cool. It was excellent, yeah. Guys, thanks for taking the time out to join us on the show. Um, yeah, that's it for this week's episode of Cargumentative. And uh, be sure to, to join us again next week for uh, another, you know, diatribe on cars and motoring and maybe some some more classic helicopters until then keep safe uh, keep warm we'll see you again next week <laughs> <laughs>